It's the OU Jewish Reaction Show. Welcome. Nachum Siegel Network. Uh, we get an opportunity to speak with people uh, who have uh, their hand on the pulse of what's happening out there in the community. And today, Rabbi Yoshua Marchuk uh, kicks things off. Rabbi Yoshua Marchuk is the International Director of NCSY Alumni Connections. And um, he has a unique perspective on many things that are happening in our community. Rabbi Marchuk, welcome back to the Nahum Siegel Network. Hi, it's great to be here. Thank you, Nahum. Appreciate that. Tell us uh, about NCSY Alumni Connections. Uh, exact, first of all, how long have you been in that position? Um, we are, I actually just um, went into my uh, fifth year, my fifth year in the position, just this past February. And there's always, I assume, been a very strong alumni group through NCSY. After all, it's such a, it's such a well-known uh, organization for so many years. Ironically, uh, not really. Um, to be perfectly frank, the uh, about uh, about nine years ago, Rabbi Dave Felsenthal, um, with Rabbi Steve Berg, uh, developed this uh, this department, um, to basically to to follow up with the community of kids that were graduating NCSY and moving to the next stage of their life, and um, and uh, at that point was the first time we formalized any type of real strategy about uh, bring, developing that very robust community. All right, so obviously this is a, a real generalization, but before, the, before it existed as a formal concept, uh, I guess people were just, you know, would go on their way once they finished NCSY. I know that it didn't always happen practically, but that was uh, essentially what was, what was going on, is that people would just go and, you know, go their separate ways, so to speak. Yeah, so it, it, almost like high school graduation, I think NCSY was taking that approach for a very long time, tr- fake, focusing on the uh, sixth through through 12th grade years at different, in different places, different points, or for sure for the ninth and 12th grade years always. And um, basically as, there, as the calling to, to dealing with this community. And at that point we realized, you know, we're sending ch- children off, we're sending teens off, young adults off to, to Eretz Israel, to yeshivas hopefully, but a, a large, large, large community was going directly to the college campuses, and as they were developing and going through their growth pains, and their, I shouldn't say pains, their, their glorious um, growth through NCSY, a lot of it wasn't uh, fully developed, as we see with, with just about all 18-year-olds. Right. And... Um, and the, the next step needed to take place, and even though they had all the focus and all the desire to, to take those next steps when they got to campus and they got involved with their Jewish communities, there's a lot of distractions in this very new community of, of, um, and world that they're living in. And NCSY realized, listen, we need to go ahead and, and continue working with our kids, even after graduation, even after high school graduation, and to connect them to the various programs. That's why the, pro- the department is called NCSY Alumni Connections, because we connect them to the extent the outstanding programs are going on within the OU and outside the OU, all over college campuses, all over the globe, um, to continue that uh, to continue that growth that, uh, that they're involved with. So you sort of didn't you didn't build a, a separate NCSY post graduation. You you built an infrastructure so that they, as students, could uh, could have a resource, could have a place to go to find out where they can go ahead and continue their education. In the early years, as we were as we were going at, it was all about making those connections, building relationships, as it is today. Um, you know, we're um, we're very much at the table with 
the Chabad community, with the Olami community, the Yeshua Torah community, the Orsamech community, the communities of, of the Yeshivot in Eretz Yisrael, from all the various gap year programs, from Massah, and then, then on one level, which are all our partners, which we all work together, and we actually were actually hosting a, uh, a, a summit here in our office this week. It'll be our second one of the kind, where we have the representatives of Ma'or, of Olami, of Chabad, of Hillel International, all coming to the OU and, and, and brainstorming as we build forward into the, uh, into the world of our campus, uh, campus partners. But then a whole other division that, uh, that we've also worked simultaneously with not just our outside partners, which I don't want to use the word outside, but just to give it more of a, re- a frame of reference, but within our own OU community of OUJLIC, of Heart to Heart, of Israel Free Spirit Birthright, these are all collegiate programs within the OU, which obviously we are part and parcel, holding hands with everyone, but we're working within the OU and outside the OU, depending on for each each, each student to each NCSYer, as well as what campuses they're located on. And I guess that list that you just mentioned is limited, right? I mean, there's JLIC only on a specific number of campuses. Your NCSY alumni uh, connections is trying to reach all the alumni, which you can't possibly do through those programs. Exactly. In, the, in the, um, the way it d- does work out is the um, highest populations of, uh, of NCSY alumni do go to OUJLIC campuses. However, on top of that, yes, there are NCSYers that are across the entire North America, across the globe. And we go and we have these relationships together that I've built, that Rabbi Dave Feldenthal has built, that Rabbi Michael Greenland has built, with all these organizations and partners on the ground, that yes, we'll sit down at the table and we'll work together with connecting our NCSYers to all these programs. And we, we basically, as we analyze each campus where the kids are going to, and we find the appropriate program that would fit, fit best there, and we try to make shidduchim, basically, and try to connect those NCSYers to the educators on those campuses. So it's not only like, oh, if I happen to, when I get to that campus, if I happen to meet the rabbi or I happen to get to the program, then I'll, maybe I'll get involved with it. But we, we, we were preactive. We, were, um, we try to be proactive about the whole process, and we'll go ahead and run programs in, at the end of high school or through the summer ending high school, and we will try to bring the, our NCSYers to, the, to, to activities with the educators on those campuses to try to make those connections even before they get there. Rabbi Yoshua Marchuk is with us talking about NCSY alumni. How many, how many do you think you reach on a regular basis? How many are under the umbrella of the NCSY alumni? It, it's, you know, the, the numbers are staggering. I will tell you that um, one of the programs that we're very proud of is, uh, is, is a campus survey that we do every year. We send out um, a survey to our NCSY alumni um, via email, and um, basically it comes out sometime after uh, Sukkot. And at that point, it asks them, basically, it's an interview for them, um, a survey about how their Jewish experience is going on those campuses. And based on those, the answers to those campuses, we, you know, the way that it works with, with the sage bracket, swag, stuff we all get, <laughs> yeah. um, is, 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 is definitely a hook. And we basically send out college campus packages to the kids who respond to the survey. And what we do with the survey is we look for issues that the kids are having on campus. So this past year, that's a long way of getting back to your question, we are specifically servicing each year about 1,500 at a minimum to about 5,000 at a maximum per grade level 
on the campuses. We're always looking to build more, and obviously each relationship is, is different. But right now we're sending out about 1,500 um, packages to kids all over North America on those college campuses. And, the, um, and but even more so, what we do with these surveys is as we go through them, we, we identify the kids that are having issues on those campuses, whether it's kosher food on those campuses, whether it's having some anti-Semitism on those campuses, whether it's if they're having an issue getting out of you know, classes or whether it's – or. Uh, or the like when it comes to the Yom Tovim, that, you know, because the educators on those campuses are just not familiar with it, we'll step in and try to give them the resources, try to help them make those, those connections and overcome those challenges they're having. So that's one of the ways we identify the issues, and we go ahead and try to service our kids that are on those campuses. And uh, anything much different than when you started? I know it's, it's hard to generalize, especially when it comes to the college campuses, but I, I assume the same problems that you were addressing five years ago are the same ones you're addressing now. Yeah, um, you know the world is moving very quickly nowadays, Malcolm, and uh, and we're trying to uh, to stay stay in step with our kids and the issues that they're having on campuses. They've they've, they've definitely gotten worse. Um, a lot, you know, anti-Israel uh, issues on campus we're having, uh, you know, is is escalating, and we're trying to give them the support and the resources to be able to combat it, whatever that means. Um, for each kid, it's a uh, for each student, it's a different it's a different issue. Right. Um, yeah, but one of the uh, one of our new initiatives that we uh, actually engaged in this, uh, this this winter for the first time is an IDF NCSY alumni initiative, which we're very excited about. Where um, we 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 at NCSY inspire kids um, to explore who they are as Jews, and that look takes on very very many shapes and sizes about how they uh, how it manifests itself. And one of the beautiful ways it manifests manifests itself is is that kids want to go to Eretz Israel. And they want to join the IDF. It's amazing. Out there. I'm sorry? It's amazing. Yeah, thank God. It is, it is amazing. With that passion, that excitement, that energy that they've learned and that love for Eretz Yisrael, Am Yisrael, that they want to go ahead and, and, and show it and demonstrate it and basically put themselves into, into very difficult situations um, to, to bring that to the forefront. So we started to engage this community for the very first time in NCSY alumni, in basically in the history of NCSY, and not just saying, okay, they're, they're there in Israel and doing their thing, but as we know, the lone soldier topic is a very tough topic altogether. Right. We started this off with, a, uh, with, a, with a, uh, an event because we had to create this community, so we went out onto the social media world and, uh, and offered a, uh, a, a Malava Malka in uh, Yerushalayim and, uh, you know, in Papagayos, which is always a, a pull for, uh, for anyone. Right. <laughs> and, uh, yes, and, uh, and Shlomo Katz. So we were dealing with the Neshama, and we were dealing with the Guf at the same time. Nice. So everyone enjoyed. We had Miriam, uh, Miriam Peretz came and spoke as well. Wow. And uh, it was a very, very powerful evening. And in that evening, again, and every Chayal does not get off, um, on you know any particular weekend, we obviously specifically did it on Motzei Shabbat because that's when the, uh, they, there's the greatest opportunity for them to get a, become available. That um, we had almost 90, uh, over 90, excuse me, uh, alumni that showed up to the event and participated, and it was amazing. We actually have a video from the evening on our website, uh, alumni.ncsy.org, and uh, it was just a very overwhelming evening. It was beautiful. Uh, besides the guests, because you just described some amazing personalities, um, what were some of the highlights of the night? Did you give an opportunity to some of these soldiers to speak or to uh, express themselves? or you know, What was the gathering like in general? 
The gathering was 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 high passion. Um, you know, uh, the, um, the 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 kids were coming in from all over the NCSY community, New Jersey, you know, uh, southern southern Florida, um, middle of, middle America. It's just Canada across the board, and they were all coming in and expressing their hakar satov that, that NCSY said. You know what? We are doing something amazing for the Jewish people, and, we want, and we're thrilled to be there and be with you. Um, there were individual conversations going on throughout the evening, um, and, and very powerful ones, just thank you after thank you after thank you, that was coming through about, wow, you're recognizing what I'm doing, and not only that, but you're actually getting involved in doing it. And this community now has just started from the evening, um, and uh, it's going to blossom forward. I have to tell you, one of the quotes of the evening, which was very powerful, I did mention some of the personalities that were there, uh, Miriam Peretz, um, who I'm sure most, most, most people know at this point, you know, no, you know sa- sadly lost two children right. in the IDF, and her husband passed away from a broken heart, as she describes, right. um, through the whole thing. And she is out there um, day in and day out, it seems, you know, talking about how the, you know, and, and the strength that she is getting from the Chayalim and how everyone should be involved with it. Um, we gave out her, her new book, Miriam's Song, which right. is only new in English. Um, it sold uh, hundreds of thousands of copies, from what I understand, in, in Hebrew. But um, to each of the Chayalim. And the quote that she said, which I think was the quote of the night, is that people see, she says, people ask me, how do I get my strength? And she says, my strength comes from this room. And she looked at the NCS wires. And you're looking at kids that are, are Chayalim. You're looking at, 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 at kids that are, are in Sherut Lumi and across the board. You're looking at boys and girls, Dati and not Dati. And, uh, and she said to them, you're like, you are like Avram Avinu. You left your home to come here and protect our nation. And she says, that's where I get my strength from. Wow. From each of you. Any idea how many? I know you're at 90 for the gathering. Any idea how many NCSY alum are actually uh, in the Army or may have served already in the Army at some point? Served already is a little bit tough of a number to go with um, because those numbers can keep going. We, we know that there was we, we have engaged over 150 right now, and as the uh, and as we uh, you know branch out even further, we think we're going to come up with a few hundred more um, that are serving right now, about to go into the army actually next month. March is a, there's a whole slew of our kids going in in March, and uh, and then a whole bunch that just came out, and that was what the evening is focused on. That's what the initiative is focused on. Um, but we, we're pretty sure that there's somewhere in the you know. Probably in the ballpark of 200, give or take, um, that are serving currently there right now, which uh, is, is, a, is a tremendous nachas. The video of the event you mentioned is alumni.ncsy.org? Correct. Amazing. Correct. It's right on the homepage. Sounds incredible. Rabbi Yoshua Marchuk, he's director of NCSY Alumni Connections, and uh, those of you who. Uh, I want to see that uh, event or the video of the event from Israel, alumni.ncsy.org. And what about general information about NCSY alums who are here in the United States who uh, can be serviced by your office? As well, they, they, should, uh, they, can email, they can either go to the website and you know, connect to us through there, or they can email me directly at marchuk at ncsy.org. That's marchuk, March like the month, U-C-K, people forget that second C, um, at ncsy.org. And we would love to, uh, to connect them. There's, uh, you know, we are right now, as I just mentioned before, Hanukkah time as well as Purim time, we send out um, packages to kids on campus when they're sitting there and they're, you know, 
not the the same hoopla as uh, as the Yom and the Rayim or in right. Passover. So it's these 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 Yom Tovim that we specifically targeted to uh, to to go ahead and, and and give a reminder of the things that are going on. We have really uh, cool thunder sticks that are in this particular package, you know, <laughs> to use as groggers, um, as well as uh, so if they if if, if you have a if you have one of your children that are on campus right now, please you know you know send me an email. We'd love to get them on the uh, you know get a package to them in the next few weeks, as well as any of the programs are involved with the uh, registration period, you know, right now for, um, for Israel Free Spirit, our, uh, one of our partners here in the uh, next-gen community of NCSY, um, is, uh, is, in, is uh, right now running their registration period. We'd love to get people connected to Birthright. And, and all the all UJLIC programs, heart-to-heart programs. I mean, our kids that right now that are leaders on, on campuses as, as individual NCSYers, alumni that are on campuses leading other kids that are not as connected, not as knowledgeable um, in, in, you know, in Friday night meals and, and different programs in campus is, is, is growing and growing. And we'd love for anybody and everybody to, to you know, connect that, uh, to those programs as well. So please email me. I'd love to hear from you. Rabbi Yeshua Marchuk, it's uh, the, uh, the, the NCSY Alumni Connections. He's the International Director. Thank you very, very much, uh, Rabbi Marchuk, and continued success with all your great work. Amen. Thank you so much, Nachum. I love coming on your show, and I love all the great work you're doing. I'm look- and looking forward to your, uh, the fundraiser coming up for your show. I greatly appreciate that. There he is, Rabbi Yeshua Marchuk. More coming up. Keep it here at the OU Jewish Reaction Show. This is the Nachum Siegel Network. Continuing on the uh, OU Jewish Reaction Program, my name is Nachum Siegel. You're listening to the Nachum Siegel Network. Rabbi Jack Abramowitz is with us. Rabbi Abramowitz is um, is the uh, Torah content editor at the Orthodox Union. And we get an opportunity to speak about something called the God Papers during this segment. Rabbi Jack Abramowitz, welcome back to the Nachum Siegel Network. Thank you for having me. A pleasure. What are the God Papers? Well, as you may recall from our previous uh, discussions, what I like to do on OU Torah, the series that I generally run myself, are that I like to take the uh, books that other people may not take the time or opportunity to read themselves, and I read them for you, and I give you my notes. That's what I like to do. So, for example, in the Taryag series, I did that with the State Breath Right. So, the God Papers is basically high points from the Rambam's Moranavukin, the Guide to the Perplexed. Right. So it's a, a very difficult book. It's very esoteric. And what I've done is I've, I've gone through, and I, I haven't done everything in the book. There's a lot in there. But I've taken some of the major themes, and, I, again, I, I've made my notes, and I share my notes with you. So it's uh, a, a simplified version of the concepts that the Rambam discusses in his guide. The, uh, the, the most recent one we see is the Torah addresses the norm. It's, impor- it's important to understand the Torah does not take exceptions into account. Whatever the Torah teaches, be it intellectual, moral, or practical in nature, is based on the norm and not on deviations that may occur. Now, obviously, there are many deviations that could occur and that have to be addressed, right? But you're saying when spoken about in a general sense like the Torah does, obviously none of those exceptions are included. Right. So when, um, when the, the Torah gives the mitzvahs, the mitzvahs are for our benefit. Right. Now, someone may say that you know, because of my personality, because of my situation, because of the year in which I live, the country in which I live, or whatever situation, that this mitzvah isn't appropriate for me, and therefore I should be exempt from this. If, if the reason of this mitzvah is to do X, Y, and Z, and it doesn't do that for me, it's, it's pointless. That's not the case. The Torah addresses the norm. So a person might be an exception, but that doesn't wipe away the uh, the obligation in the mitzvah, which applies to the generality of mankind. 
Understood. Um, and, and how should that exception then be viewed? Right, we're supposed to, uh, for instance, uh, you know, start our meal, especially on Shabbos, start with bread. For instance, someone's allergic to bread, right? How should they view that exception? Well, obviously, in a situation like that, someone shouldn't eat something that that is going to make them physically ill. Right, and and they would have to, of course, evaluate the the uh, the situation. Yeah. And how sick will they really be? Is, and, is and, with pa- and with and with pay- and with Pesach especially, we see a lot of exceptions like that. Right. So that doesn't mean that somebody should should have to do something from which they would otherwise be exempt, for example, because it's going to make them sick. But for them to disregard the underlying meaning of the mitzvah, even if they can't personally perform it, you know, like, like people generally have two hands. You know, but you know what? Some people don't. Right. So, you know, if a mitzvah requires having two hands, well, okay, for the person with one hand, it's unfortunate he may not be able to do that particular mitzvah, but that's still the mitzvah the way the mitzvah was given to Kla Yisrael, and whatever lesson we get, still the lesson, even if that person cannot individually participate. Right, so I'm asking more philosophically, so the one-handed person should view it as what? As a, um, as a exception, as a... Uh, a that he's an exception, that, that the lesson, the the point of the mitzvah is still the point, even if he himself cannot individually participate in in what it's supposed to do. Right, but not necessarily negative, right? Not necessarily with a negative attitude toward it. No, not at all. Right. Not at all. I mean, what they say about the, the Ben Sorah Umora, right. this is one that, that people love to love to pick on, that it's so terrible that a child who is, is going off the, the, the path of uh, Judaism, he's, he's rebellious, he's stubborn, that he should be stoned to death. Right. Except that the, the Talmud tells us that this never actually happened, right. that there's no recorded case of, of such a thing ever being done, and that the uh, Torah only gives the, the mitzvah for the lesson we can learn from it. So, you know, we're supposed to understand things it's for, by learning about the, uh, the details of this mitzvah. There are things we're supposed to learn from it, even though the mitzvah was never carried out in practice. Right. Same thing, if someone's personally unable to participate in a particular mitzvah, that doesn't mean that the mitzvah is worthless to them. They can still, you know, get the same lesson from it, even if they don't personally go through the motion. Yeah. I understand that, um, and and it's funny because I think the fact that that I think the fact that there never was one, or that's our tradition that there never was one, um, does a disservice to the whole concept of exception. Because in the one case where you want to see an exception, or where you think there was one, we're told there wasn't any. You know what I'm saying by that? Not quite sure. <laughs> I mean, it, it is kind of an exception in that if it's a mitzvah that was never meant to be carried out, that's exceptional. So. It, it itself is an exception. Right. Yeah, that's true. All right, Jack Abramowitz is with us. He's the uh, the uh, Torah content editor at the Orthodox Union. We're talking about the God's Papers, which you can uh, access through ou.org slash Torah slash Machshava. It's a series called The God Papers. You can just search it like that, and you'll come across it. You have one entitled The Wisdom of God's Commandments. Uh, this yeah. is something that the Rambam addressed? Yes. And and it, how, how does the wisdom differ from some of the points... Um, uh, that we just made in terms of, uh, you know, we, for instance, Ben Soramur is supposed to teach us certain things, and we're supposed to, you know, ponder what we are or are not supposed to do, especially when it comes to, uh, you know, to physical desires, etc. Um, the wisdom of God's commandments is, is along the same lines or not? Uh, well, can can you just, since you have the article in, in front of you, can you give me a full quote? I certainly can. The article begins, if you want to see how an example of God's wisdom, all you have to do is look and how he designed the wonders of creation. The Rambam discusses the wisdom of the nervous system, how the nerves carry impulses from the brain and spinal cord to the muscles in order to affect movement. 
discussed how baby mammals are incapable of eating dry food, so he gave them the ability to produce milk. Um, I, I guess I guess these these functions that God created show us the wisdom of His commandments. Okay, so here let me uh, let me get on the same page as you, quite literally. So um, so just as God designed nature using His wisdom, that right. everything is, is the way it is for a reason, the Torah and the mitzvahs that are in it are also designed not arbitrarily, but with with uh, seichel. I mean, if anyone had seichel, you know common sense, it would be God. Right. So, so what, uh, what the Ramban discusses in that section, for example, is he discusses the temple service. And he says that the temple service isn't just because, or not even just, isn't because God wants us to slaughter animals and burn them. It's because God understands human nature, because God created humans. Of course he understands human nature, that they were only used to one way of dealing with God, the way it had always been, which was through this kind of service. And God knew that if he said, stop it immediately, cold turkey, they wouldn't be able to do it. Much the same way that when God took them out of Egypt, it says he took them a roundabout way, because if he took them the shorter way, they'd get scared and go back to Egypt. Right. The so same thing. God didn't just give them the stop now. He didn't tell them to go cold turkey because he knew they would fail. So what he did was he gave them a path to wean themselves off of the kind of service that they were used to. And this is why the temple service is so limited. There was only one temple. And you couldn't train to be a Kohen, to be a Jewish priest. You had to be born one. And there were so many limits to being able to go to the temple with with the different types of ritual impurity that would keep people away. So this clearly wasn't the preferred form of service because God wasn't maximizing it. He was minimizing it, as opposed to what we have now, which is prayer which is our current form of service, in the absence of the temple. And even when the temple was here, people prayed. People had synagogues even in the the time when the temple was standing. And that's something that was maximized, because you can build a shul anywhere, and you can daven pretty much any place, and everyone can daven all the time. So we see that that the way God set up the mitzvos was done with with goals in mind and with a way to accomplish these goals that people could handle. So that's that's the the example. Of course, other mitzvahs would also have the same kind of of understanding of human nature in their application. But this is one that the Rambam discusses at uh, some length, as far as as demonstrating the concept to us. Essentially, God set up His children for success instead of setting them up for failure. Exactly correct. He wouldn't tell us to do something knowing that human nature would preclude our ability to accomplish it. I know I'm jumping around, and you may not have it in front of you, but I saw you wrote an article on suffering as per the book of Job, as per uh, Eov, and again, I assume it's based on the Rambam's words. This is one of the uh, the topics that always comes up, uh, sometimes frustrates people in terms of suffering and why certain people suffer and why God creates suffering in the world and designates certain people to suffer more than others. Uh, what was the focus of that article? Well, the focus of that article, and i got to say, of, of all the articles of the series, I noticed that one perennially gets hit. There is, I think, three of them that deal with the subject of suffering. And unfortunately, just, you know, people Google searching, you know, suffering in Judaism, they find this, you know, there's, there's a lot of interest in this topic. Um, and, and some of it may be, you know, real-life-based and not just anecdotal or philosophical. Right. So, you know, this is definitely something that, uh, that people want to know about. Um, it, it goes through the different philosophies that, that the Rambam has discussed in terms of, you know, there were Islamic philosophers who were contemporary to him, there were classical Greek philosophers. So he's discussed their aspects of God and how they view 
divine providence, and suffering goes into that. Uh, is, it a, is it a ramification of God's will? Is it a ramification of God's wisdom? Does God micromanage these things? Does God remove himself and these things just happen? They're all different philosophies. And what he does is he goes through the different friends who came to visit Job in his time of suffering, who expressed different opinions about why this is happening, and he illustrates how this friend's opinion corresponds to this philosophy. That friend's opinion corresponds to that philosophy until we get to the end and we see what's, what our philosophy tells us, because we reject the other philosophies for a variety of reasons. There's certainly bases that people feel that God micromanages suffering, that God removes himself and just allows suffering, all these different uh, positions. People have reasons they feel that way, but based on what the Torah has revealed to us, we have our own aspect of of looking at it, and uh, that's what the Rambam does. He goes through what the friends say and explains how those are representative of the different classical philosophical explanations. Unbelievable. Great stuff. Really incredible. Uh, he is the uh, Torah editor, Torah content editor at the Orthodox Union, Rabbi Jack Abramowitz. Check out the uh, series entitled The God Papers. If you search it, uh, search his name and The God Papers, it'll come right up. And of course, if part- I could just mention, we're sure. nearly done with contents from the Rambam's Guide to the Perplexed, and we're going to be starting from the Rambam's Derech Hashem, uh, the, the Path of God. We're going to be starting that very soon. You're going to turn this one into a book? Uh, actually, yes. <laughs> Had a feeling you that's, might. That's definitely the plan. It's, uh, it's already in the works. It's called the God Book. Comes out on a regular basis on a on a specific timetable or whenever you uh, are in the mood to post it. Uh, I've got a number of them uh, in in queue, ready to be released. I release them every week to ten days, approximately. There you go. The God Papers are by Jack Abramowitz. Thank you so much for joining us today. Always a pleasure. Appreciate that. More coming up. You're listening to the OU Jewish Reaction Show, and this is the Nachum Siegel Network. You're listening to the OU Jewish Reaction Show here at the Nachum Siegel Network, and Rabbi Jonathan Gross is with us via telephone. Rabbi Gross uh, was the rabbi out in Omaha, Nebraska, for quite a while. In fact, many of you probably heard about a rabbi who sold his chametz to Warren Buffett. Uh, rabbi Gross is the uh, is the rabbi, and he is now the assistant rabbi at the uh, Congregation Beth Tefila down in Baltimore, Maryland. He has written a brand new book, Values Investing, an Omaha Rabbi Learns Torah. From Warren Buffett, Rabbi Jonathan Gross, welcome to the Nachum Siegel Network. Oh, thanks. It's great to be here, Nachum. I greatly appreciate that. Um, How did you first get to know him? To know Warren Buffett? Yeah. So, you know, as I tell people, when when you're in Omaha, the first thing that people ask you when I would come to New York and New Jersey, and they say, how do you know Warren Buffett? The first thing that they would say, excuse me, is, there are Jews in Omaha? Nobody could believe there are Jews in Omaha. So I said, yes, there are Jews in Omaha. And the second question inevitably was, do you know Warren Buffett? And, you know, because people think, obviously, in Omaha there are only a few of us there, so anybody <laughs> who lives there knows each other. And, um, and they would ask if he goes to the shul and if he gives money to the shul. And... Uh, you know, after a while, it kind of gets to you because you think of like I, I feel like I should know the guy already. Um, so, but you know, he's a very exclusive person. He, he, the truth is, people in Omaha are very um, sensitive to his privacy. Um, you know, and he he does walk the streets, but but we you know we're, we don't just walk up to him and uh, take selfies. Uh, but I had an idea. He writes in his uh, investment letter every year. He he just released his uh, annual letter um, on Friday. And every year he writes that if you have an investment idea that you think we could partner with, then uh, send me a letter, contact me, um, and, uh, and we'll talk. So I had an idea. So I wrote him a letter, and I said, listen, here's the story. I have this investment 
that basically we have this ban on chametz, that we have to get rid of our chametz. So right before Pesach, the price is low. But then a week later, we're all craving cake and cookies and all the things we haven't had for a week. So the price skyrockets. So it's a risk-free arbitrage. It's been working for thousands of years, and uh, Jews all over the world do it. And I really think this is an investment you should get in on. So I wrote a, a regular letter on stationery, and I um, put it in the mailbox with a stamp. And I said to myself, yeah, okay, <laughs> you know, we'll see what happens. And a few days later, his secretary called me up. They got the letter. He liked the idea. He wants to know when we could meet. So that was the beginning. And I <laughs> sold him our chametz um, every year after that for, for the next three years. And um, my wife and I, uh, we got to go to him for Purim, and um, I, we brought Mishloch Mana. We always made it into, we partnered with the food bank. And it was two ideas. With the chametz, it started out, actually, because he's a big supporter of the food bank. And with the chametz... The idea was is that um, I am kind of a, a, an extremist in this regard, is that I, I don't think that Mechiros Chametz was meant for us to be able to keep our $1 box of spaghetti. I think if you have a $100 bottle of scotch, you sell that. But Pesach is a great time to empty out your pantry and give it to the local food bank. Yeah, and true. the idea was is that we sell our Chametz to Warren Buffett, and then instead of buying it back, he would donate it all to the food bank. And I think uh, that was a great um, concept, and we did that in Omaha and uh, kind of got a lot of uh, play in the local paper, and I hope that that idea continues to take traction. Then the other idea for Purim was, and this is coming up, so it's very timely, is that you know, a month before Pesach, we give this Mishloch Manot, and then everybody knows what happens the day after Purim. Our house is covered in chametz, that's candy, and we, or things like that, and it all has to go in the garbage by Pesach. And um, my idea was that we should make our Mishloch Manot with items that are found on your local food bank's most needed list. Wow. And you make up your nice Mishloch Manot, and we, we made this nice basket for Warren Buffett, and we gave it to him, and then he gave it directly to the food bank. So the idea was, and we did this in Omaha, is that we would have drums for the local food bank. All of our Mishloch Manot could be made from items for the local food bank that they need on their website. Any local food bank has a website that tells you what they need. And then uh, we would give our Mishloch Manot to each other, and all the food would go to the food bank. Fantastic. Uh, was the transaction with him any more complicated or any different than it would have been with anybody else when you sold the chametz? Uh, so I'll tell you the irony is that Warren Buffett's transactions are amazingly simple, and I write this in the book, but when he bought the Nebraska Furniture Mart from a Jewish lady from the Omaha community, Rose Blumpian, in 1983, he paid $60 million dollars for her store. It was the largest furniture store in America. And um, he showed me the contract. It was a one-page contract that was mostly signatures. He said, I asked her two questions. Do you own the stores and do you, own, do you owe any money? And she said, yes and no. And he said, okay. And the whole transaction, $60 million, was a handshake and $1,800 in lawyer's fees. Unbelievable. So, yeah, so I made the... Uh, I made the chametz sale very simple that uh, it could be done uh, chop chop. Yeah, so, uh, I was, yeah, was going to say you better make you better make. Sure. <laughs> I was going to say you better make sure the chametz contract is not too voluminous. That's right, for sure. Exactly. After after that deal that he made, values investing in Omaha Rabbi learns Torah from Warren Buffett. Rabbi Jonathan Gross is with us. So, is there Torah to be learned from him? Are there lessons that are important in our tradition to be studied and to be uh, appreciated from Warren Buffett? Yeah, so if you'll, um, if you'll check out the book, you can buy it, by the way, at rabbijonathangross.com. Um, and uh, the book basically is, uh, Warren Buffett wrote a pamphlet a number of years ago 
that are his 13 principles of investing. I kid you not. That's so <laughs> Just funny. Just like the Rambam, Warren Buffett, <laughs> I said to myself, wow, this book writes itself. <laughs> and uh, he, he, he has 13 principles of investing. And the, the structure of the book is that each chapter shows how one of his investment principles is actually an ethical principle that can be found in our Torah and in our Talmud. And... Um, and, uh, I mean, you know, each chapter is an example. I, I start off each chapter with an investment that Warren Buffett made, and, um, and I tell the story of, of the investment that he made over the course of his career, and then I show how he it was actually, you know, he's not just trading in derivatives and, uh, you know, and, and all kinds of uh, imaginary things. They're very real purchases and acquisitions that he makes, and, they, and you, you see a different mida that he exemplifies in each one of these uh, Transaction. Could you give us a good example of one of those Midos? Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll give a very simple one that uh, about, um, and it seems obvious, but not to everyone, is that when he buys companies, he's mostly interested in per share value, which means he's not impressed when the company is very large if it's inefficient. He wants to see a smaller company that is more efficient and gives you more of a return on your investment per share. So this obviously, I mean, this is a... Uh, uh, you know, Mishnah and Avot that talks about uh, looking at mitzvot, not in terms of what you think is kala or chamura, but even a simple mitzvah could, of course, have a lot of uh, a greater return on your investment than what you might think is a much larger mitzvah. And I give the story of Iskar, which was the Israeli company that Warren Buffett bought uh, a number of years ago, when I was in Omaha, actually. And um, it, uh, Iskar makes cutting tools that are small tools that essentially, if one of their tools could power an entire factory, if, if one of their tools is gone, then Ford could be out of commission. Wow. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the, I guess the Jewish Chachma there that the uh, uh, Wertheimer family of Iskar came up with is the idea of coming up with the, the really important piece. And that's a metaphor for the entire Jewish people and for Israel. Israel is a small country that's become... Uh, a power generator for the entire world and the Jewish people who are small in number, but obviously we make a great impact. Unbelievable. All right, Jonathan Gross is with us. Did they find a replacement for you in Omaha? Yes, a great fellow by the name of Ari Dembitzer. He's the, uh, he's, he, uh, during the summers, he's the head counselor of Camp Simcha. Huh, and he's a, he's a wonderful guy. He works for High Lifeline for many years. And he's out there right now and doing an incredible job. I was happy to uh, leave it over in confident hands. And do you miss he's Omaha? Thriving. Um, I love it where I am right now. My in-laws live uh, <laughs> live in Baltimore, and it's great for my kids to have grandchildren. And I love. Well, I work for Rabbi Mitchell Wahlberg, oh, yeah. who is I don't know. He I mean he's legendary, mm -hmm. and he's the best boss anybody could possibly ask for. If you're listening, to Rabbi Wahlberg, I just let you know. <laughs> but uh, and I and I love it. And Beth Phil is really uh, an outstanding shul. I think it might be the largest Orthodox shul in North America, and um, and we have wonderful people, and it's incredible. Omaha is completely different, though, and uh, I miss uh, the idea of, you know, all the great impact that Beth Israel Synagogue in Omaha was able to do, where we were really, um, you know, I mean, we were the Orthodox shul, and uh, there was a Chabad there as well, and uh, he went to my shul, he was a member of my shul, we, we um, you know, it, it wasn't a uh, competition that way, we had joint members, but, um, but we... Uh, we, you know, we were the Orthodox shul, and we were bringing people to who would not be in a shul otherwise. And that was, um, you know, that you don't get as much in Baltimore, and I missed that a little bit. 
Uh, I don't know what's what's fact and what's myth. Um, we've always heard about somebody, some young Orthodox Jewish person, who actually sent a check to Warren Buffett. Um, yeah, at, no, that, was, that, that's real. That wasn't you, was um, it? No, no, that was, uh, that, it was a very interesting story, actually. Um, I came to Omaha in, uh, as a college student from Yeshiva University. I did what's called Torah Tours. Right. YU does this amazing program called Torah Tours, where they send college students to different communities around the country to help out during the holidays and during the summers. So I ran a summer program there. And when I was doing that, um, there was a young man there, from YU also, named Shami Jacobs. And uh, um, Shami got, a, uh, he, he got an internship working at Berkshire Hathaway for the summer by writing Warren Buffett a letter and saying, um, you know, Mr. Buffett, I'm a big admirer, and uh, I'd like to pay you to be able to work for you. Warren Buffett sent him back the check and said, thank you very much, you know, you know not really, we're not talking right now. But eventually Warren Buffett did hire him. Interesting. So we were there for the summer, and uh, Warren Buffett offered him the internship, and uh, he was there for the summer working for Warren Buffett. I was working for the synagogue, and we said to each other, wouldn't it be funny if one day we both ended up here? And uh, at some point we both uh, moved to Omaha. He was the president of my shul wow. for a while. He was a good friend of mine, and uh, it was really... Um, uh, working with him was was great, and uh, he um, yeah he's, he not, he left Warren Buffett a number of years ago though. That is funny, interesting. You both end up there together, and he's the president. He ends up being the president for you. Um, and then uh, uh, whenever he's asked about uh, living in Omaha, so Warren Buffett makes a point of you know wants to be in the center of the country, away from all the craziness and the uh, and the hectic life and the not just hectic life, but the um, the the quick reaction that people have on the two coasts, that uh, people behave in too uh, haphazard a manner, that type of thing. Do you get that? Is Omaha way different than anything we'd be used to here on the East Coast? I'll tell you, Nachum, being in Omaha gave me so much perspective on the Jewish world because just like he's removed from Wall Street over there, we're removed from the Jewish world. And here we see all kinds of things that people, you know, little nuanced things that people are arguing over, which are important. I don't want to downplay any of these things. But in Omaha, the question that we're asking is that will there be Jews in the next generation here? And right. all the nuances, you know, we're able to work with all different kinds of Jews because, you know, we see past that and there's a common purpose. And um, I think being able to, you know, the way that Warren Buffett has been able to kind of move away from the immediacies of Wall Street, where everything seems it has to happen now, and see more of a long view and be successful, I think that when we're able to sometimes take that step back, that, that's a lesson that the Jewish community can learn. Wow. Very powerful words, to say the least. Uh, the book is called Values Investing, an Omaha rabbi learns Torah from Warren Buffett, or by Jonathan Gross, is with us. You wrote an article about how much the Mishkan would cost today. Very interesting yeah. article. We, 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 got, we can actually go through it paragraph by paragraph. It's probably the only way to really do it, um, you know, do do it justice. But uh, we're not going to do that now, obviously. But you end up with uh, right. you end up with a total in the millions, as one would expect, um, in terms of the material. But not, not the bill, not the billions. Right, but not the billions. Right. Right. It's it, it, it's more reasonable than one might think. I guess we could say right. Right. In terms of materials. Right. Why? What? What prompted well, you? So what prompted you to embark on this? I wrote the article um, because uh, people have been really nice, and uh, I wrote that. You know, I wrote I wrote the article. I didn't expect you know it to be as popular as it was. Thousands of people ended up seeing it. Um, 
the idea was that, uh, you know, I, I was doing it for my eighth grade class <laughs> that I teach here, and uh, who knew that so many people would be interested in it. I said, you know, we know how much gold costs nowadays, and we know how um, they make what's called gold leaf. Right. So um, gold leaf is, uh, in the old days, they used to hammer it out. Today we have more advanced technologies, which allows us to be more efficient. We could cover more space. Um, so if we made a Mishkan today... Even though at the end of part, in the beginning of Parsha Pekude, it tells us exactly how much gold they collected. Today, we would probably be able to do it with less gold because we can spread the gold thinner. Right. That's good. Save some money. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, we could you put that money towards uh, day school education. But I, <laughs> but I do want to. <laughs> but I'll still add that the gold plating for the perimeter of the Michigan would still cost half a million dollars, according to your analysis. So. Uh, more, I think. Uh, you know, somebody pointed out I made a, a mathematical error. So uh, it's it, even the, the perimeter of the Mishkan would probably cost yes in the in the millions. If you go to OU, if you go to OU dot org slash life slash Torah, you can find the article. It's called How Much Would the Mishkan Cost Today, Rabbi Jonathan Gross. The book is called Values Investing, an Omaha Rabbi Learns Torah from Warren Buffett. We wish you good luck with the book. Thanks so much, Nachum. Anything good else? Time. It's great to be on the show. Anything? I appreciate that. Anything else you want to tell us about the book aside from the thirteen principles? What was his reaction? You could get it at rabbijonathangross.com. What was his reaction uh, when he read it? Because he did read it, right? Yeah, so it's funny. He sent me a uh, he sent me a nice uh, letter. Um, uh, he he authorized that I can I can make it available. He he lets uh, certain uh, books be available for sale at the uh, shareholders convention in May. Right. So so he approved, he approved the book. He gave me permission. I quote him extensively in all of his. Um, all of his shareholder letters are copyrighted, so he uh, he wrote me a letter, um, you know, giving me permission to to um, use all that. And he wrote me this really nice letter that said, "I'd love to give you a blurb, but it's very tricky because I, um, you know, it's uh, uh, you know a lot of people ask me, and it, it gets a little complicated." So, um, so basically, now I have a blurb from Warren Buffett that says, "I'd love to give you a blurb, but I can't because it's complicated." But uh, which I will not print. But, um, but he was—he was just very nice and uh, very encouraging about it, and uh, and it's just, it's just a great honor, a privilege to to know really a wonderful person uh, on so many levels. Pleasure to meet you in this forum, Rabbi Gross. Good luck down there in Baltimore. Thanks so much. All the best, Rabbi Jonathan Gross. Values investing in Omaha. Rabbi learns Torah from Warren Buffett. Very, very interesting. I want to thank everybody out there for tuning in, listening to the OU Jewish Reaction Show here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Listen every Tuesday starting at 9 a.m. Eastern Time for a great collection of guests and our big thanks to the uh, Orthodox Union. This is the Nahum Siegel Network.